Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open again back to the same passage we were this morning, Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, and we're going to look at verses 43 through 52 again tonight. Now, we'll not go back through all that I said this morning. Um, and I know that it's Sunday night, and I'm supposed to be continuing with the work of the Holy Spirit, and we'll pick that up again. But tonight, uh, well, this afternoon, I had planned to do that, but this afternoon I was really struck with this thought that some passages you come to in Scripture, and there's so much there that all you can do is to look at what Christ has done. And there's not a whole lot of application that comes out of it. Now, I want to apply it tonight, but it does us real a lot of good sometimes to just look at a passage. And before we ask, God, what is it in this passage that is for me to pick up and do? Sometimes it's better for us to say, God, just let me see you. And that's what I felt like we did this morning. I felt like we simply looked at Jesus as Judas betrayed him, as Peter tried to show his temper and take someone's head off, as the other disciples all abandoned, and we just saw Jesus resolutely headed toward the cross. Come whatever may, he would not be deterred from that mission. And I think that's good for us sometimes to see. I think we walk away sometimes from those passages with just a deeper love for our God. Just a longing to. And I, I kind of wish this morning that we would have just flipped our service and responded with more music at the end. Because if we truly see Jesus in what he, what he has done and who he is, it causes us to respond And this morning, I just felt like we just needed to sing about his greatness and his commitment to the will of God. But tonight, I want to come back to it, and I want to give you two points tonight, two points of application out of this. When we look at Jesus, and the reason I say this is because, yes, it's good for us sometimes simply to say, Jesus, just let me see you. But we also know that Scripture teaches that Jesus is also to be our example. And so tonight, I want to show you Two things that I think can be, should be true of us in a growing way. So let's look at this together. Let me read it and then we'll walk through. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 43. And immediately, it's one of Mark's favorite words, immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber? With swords and clubs to capture me. Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And the young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. We see in this. We see all this going on around Jesus. This is, this is turmoil. I mean it's just... You know, 
chaos, if you will, one thing after the other. Judas, an insider, all of a sudden coming and leading a, a mob of a thousand people with clubs and swords to come and betray Jesus. Peter, the one who is just, you know, in an instant ready to, to jump and fight and walk on water and everything else. And he, he draws his sword and swings at the guy's head and the guy probably ducks and Peter really meant to take his head off or stab him uh, with the sword. But he was, not a, he was not a soldier or a swordsman. He was a fisherman by trade. And the guy ducks and he cuts his ear off. The other Gospels tells us that Jesus in that moment picks his ear up and puts it back on his head. Another miracle that Judas was able to see and the rest of the disciples and even the crowd. And then in the midst of this, they arrest him. They take him away. And you see the other disciples, they, they just flee. Peter, at that moment, when, when Jesus says, put your sword away, and they, it's, it's finally real. It's happening. They've got him in shackles and they're leading him away. He becomes a coward and he flees. And all of them do. Even this one who is unnamed, he runs. He runs away even naked, leaving his clothing behind because he ran right out of it. This is chaos. I mean, we, we don't experience anything like this. Um, but we do experience other things. We do experience betrayal. We do experience having tempers that flare or having those around us who have tempers that flare. We do experience from time to time abandonment. And as we go toward the will of God and want to be faithful to that and want to follow after God hard and fast, we must look to the example of Jesus and say, when Jesus was betrayed, when Jesus was encouraged to fight, when Jesus was abandoned altogether, he did not let himself be distracted. In fact, he went all that much harder toward the cross, toward the will of God. And we also must do the same. Which leads me to this first application. Let us also be resolute as we follow God. Anybody have... Um, a WWJD bracelet on tonight? We're kind of a thing of the past. And even if you did, nobody would want to volunteer because you'd be afraid I'd call you up here. Um, they're kind of a thing of the past. What does WWJD stand for? What would Jesus do? What's the flaw in that philosophy? That's right. right. We don't need to ask what would Jesus do because we have what Jesus did right in front of us. And oftentimes we, fo we, we, we function in this area of mysticism or unknown when in reality we should look to the example of Jesus and say, what did Jesus do? What did he do? And here we see him being resolute as he presses on toward the cross. He did not let anyone distract him from it. I mean, think about it. He could have... He could have called Judas out. He knew Judas was the one. I mean, if you knew who it was that was going to betray you before they were going to betray you, wouldn't you, wouldn't you call them out? I mean, I know the circumstances are different, but, you know, I mean, most of us would say, uh-uh-uh, you will not get one over on me. And we would blab it and we would call them out. We would embarrass them, right? Wouldn't we do that? Don't sit there and look spiritual at me. You know you would. Jesus could have called Judas out and we would have said he's justified in doing so. He's, he's right to do that. 
He could have, knowing, we see this before he went to the garden in Gethsemane, we saw him go to this upper room and he did not disclose the location because he didn't want Judas to know the location because he knew Judas was going to lead them to him. So Jesus could have kept doing that. He could have he could have kept hiding from Judas or he could have ran away from Judas. He could have, you know, been like David running from Saul. And and we would have said, I don't blame him. Right. I mean, on 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 that side, we would have said, yeah, I mean, if the guy's going to betray him, I think he's he's justified in doing that. Jesus doesn't do that. He pressed on toward the will of the father. And I want us to look tonight very quickly at these three things in this that tried to derail him from going to the cross, from following the will of the Father. The first being betrayal. I shared with you this morning the passage in Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Um, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Let me concentrate on that for just a second. We need friends like that, don't we? Any of you like to get um, wise correction? We like it. We may not like it in the moment, do we? We don't always like it in the moment. You know, somebody says, it would really be good if you would, instead of doing this, if you would do this. We kind of bristle up sometimes, don't we? Bristle up and we say, you know, how dare you do that? And it may hurt, but in the long run, it's a good thing. It's a a very good thing for us to hear that. And that's what a true friend does. All of us needs to have friends around us. I'm not saying every acquaintance you, you have, but we should have some people around us that are not afraid to tell us the truth. We need someone like Nathan to David. When David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and he had gone to lengths to try to make it look like the child that she was carrying in her womb was not his, but indeed it was her husband Uriah's. He went to great lengths to show that, and when Uriah would not cooperate with his plan, he had Uriah murdered. And Nathan comes to David and he says, let me tell you a story, David. There's a guy, he's very wealthy, he's got all this stuff. I mean, he's got herds of sheep and herds of animals. And he has these people come to town and he wants to throw a party for them. And, and there's this little man in town and he's got a family and he's only got one little lamb. And it's all they have. And, and in fact, they're, they're raising it and it's, a, it's like a pet to the kids. I mean, it's, it's dear to them. And this man, when he hears he has these guests coming to town, rather than taking an animal from his own herd, David, he, he goes out and he goes to this man and he takes that lamb from their family, takes the pet and he takes it and he has it, he has it slaughtered, David, and he, he takes it and he has it prepared for his guests that are coming to town and this is what they eat for their meal. What do you think of that man, David? And David said, that man should die. That man has no right to live. And Nathan looks at him and says, David, let me tell you something. You are that man. You are that man because you had the whole kingdom of Israel ahead of, in front of you. It was all at your fingertips. You could have had anything you wanted. And instead, you reached over here and you took the wife and you took the life of Uriah this common man who all he did was serve you 
honorably. David's response, it leads us to the Psalms where he repents of his sin. It leads us to just his great repentance and his, his praying, God, restore in me, restore in me the joy of my salvation. I feel like the bones are breaking because you're crushing me under the weight of this. And it leads him to then exulting in the forgiveness that he's found in God. We all need friends like Nathan. We need people around us who will tell us the truth regardless of how painful it is. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We don't need people like this around us. We don't need people who will simply tell us what we want to hear so that they can distract us from seeing the betrayal that they are bringing. Um, We must beware of Wolves. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 10. I want to show you what Jesus says on this. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 16, 16 through 25. Jesus here knows all too well of the betrayal that he will experience. And then he also is very keenly aware of once he is gone, the betrayal and the persecution that his followers will experience. Look at Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Just my guess, but I don't think that's a good place for sheep to be. Okay? Not a good place to be in the midst of wolves. So, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. What he's saying to them is, you be aware. You be keen. You don't do things that are, big Greek word here, stupid. Okay? Don't. Don't don't put yourselves in situations that are unnecessarily dangerous. But then he says, be harmless as doves. Be innocent. You are there. I'm placing you there. But I'm also saying, be aware. Be aware that there are wolves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those who are of his household? Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. And he went to the cross anyway. He was persistent in going after the Father's will. And he also knew that we would also be betrayed. Did you catch the line in there that brother will give up brother, deliver brother to death? I mean, he's speaking here to largely Jews at that point and saying to them, Just because you're of the same nation doesn't mean that they will not turn on you. Brother will turn brother over to the authorities and they will bring you into the synagogue and there they will beat you and flog you and even kill you. So beware. 
betrayal hurts, doesn't it? Betrayal hurts because it is typically someone who's close to you. Someone you've opened yourself up to. You've poured yourself out to. You've trusted them. They've trusted what you thought they trusted you. You had a great relationship with. You you walked with them. You laughed with them. Jesus even said about Jesus, Judas, he ate my bread. He ate bread with me. We all have had that experience where someone has betrayed us. And if you have not, you will. You will have that experience where someone will betray you. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we can count that it will happen. If we're going to be like Jesus, we must not let it detract us from going to our cross. There is not another cross to pay for the sin debt of the world or to pay for your sin debt. It's been paid. But it doesn't mean that you will not go to your own cross. What did Jesus say? Take up your cross and follow me. So we must beware. We must beware of betrayal and not let it keep us from following God. The second thing that tried to distract him from following God's will was this self-confident fleshly retaliation. Now, I had to be careful typing fleshly. I almost put fleshy. And uh, my grandmother used to say, you're looking a little fleshy, son. And uh, it's not fleshy. It's fleshly. Um, It's of the flesh. It's of the old nature. Self-confident fleshly retaliation that's demonstrated here by Peter. We go back to David and there's a story here, and it's where we get, it's where Lan and I got the name for our daughter. David here, his men are out in um, the countryside, and they have protected, which was part of the culture of the day, they had protected these herdsmen or these shepherds of a man named Nabal. And it was a common thing that, um, that this was a service that was rendered, and there were no written agreements, there were no contracts, there was no um, payment that was agreed upon up front, but it was an understanding that at the end of the season, when it came time to shear the sheep and sell the wool, that those who had protected the the shepherds would be treated well by the owner. They would get part of the proceeds for that. And um, it comes that time, Nabal has his sheep taken in, they shear the sheep, and they're selling all this off, and David comes up there and and he says, who is this David? Nabal does. Who's this? Who, who is this David? I don't know David. And he just absolutely flat out just ignores that David has provided this service. Well, it infuriates David. I mean, David just straps his sword on, mounts his horse, says, come on, men, let's go. And there's all these men behind him, and here they go riding off toward Nabal, and they're going to end his life that day. I mean, just, I mean, they're fed up. They're going to do it. David has a hot head here. And there is a lady by the name of Abigail, Nabal's wife. Nabal's wife hears of it, and she intervenes. She gets in the kitchen, and she starts slinging pots and pans and chopping and all of this stuff and prepares all this spread and jumps on the horses, and she goes riding out. Before David and his men can get to Nabal, she intercepts them, and she finds the true way to a man's heart and she goes through his stomach and she cuts David off at the pass. Another time, David is um, being pursued heavily by Saul. Saul wants to kill David because Saul is threatened by him. Um, Saul is 
killed as hundreds, but David is killed as or killed as thousands, and David is killed as tens of thousands, and he's just threatened by him. So David's on the run from him, and he's ran all over the place, and he and his men are hiding in this cave, and they're in there, and Saul's army comes up, and Saul comes into the cave, and the Bible says he comes in to relieve himself, and. That's the same thing it means when you're on a road trip and you find a rest area and you stop to relieve yourself, okay? Um, And Saul comes into the cave, and David is in there. And David's in there, and they're hiding, and he doesn't want Saul to know. But Saul is within arm's length of David. David's crouched behind a rock. And his men begin to say to him, David, this is your chance. God has delivered Saul right into your hands. You can take him right now. David thinks about it and he crawls out over there and he takes his knife and he cuts off the edge of Saul's garment. I mean, he could have slit his throat and no one would have been the wiser. But he cuts off the edge of his garment. My point is this. The story goes on from there. But my point is this, that we don't need people around us like Peter. We don't need people around us like David and when he pursued Nabal. We don't need people around us like David's army in the cave. We don't need people that are quick-tempered. We don't need to surround ourselves with us. Now, it's okay. You're going to be around some people like that, but you don't need to surround yourself with those people. Why? Because that's attractive, isn't it? I mean, you've been wronged. You've been hurt. If all you've got around you are people that are saying, you don't have to take that. You know what I would do? I would go and I would do this. Somebody over here, yeah, he's right. And you know what? On top of that, I would add this. That's attractive, isn't it? It's fun to be in that realm and and think about and dream about what you would do to get retaliation. But if you surround yourself with those people long enough, you're going to fall prey and you're not going to do what David did and not kill the king. You'll find yourself touching the Lord's anointed and taking steps that God never intended for you to take. And we've got to. And sometimes, here's the deal. Sometimes you're that person. Sometimes I'm that person. We, we're quick-tempered and we see injustice and we, we want to ride in and right the wrong. Sometimes we have to step back and say, you know what? The Lord's will is not for me to get vengeance here. The Lord will avenge his own. I'm going to step back and I'm going to trust that God knows what he's doing here. Um, turn to Proverbs chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Verse 14, 16, and 17. It's very clear on this, very clear on what types of people these are. Verse 16, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. 17, a man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil, devi- of evil, evil devices is hated. And turn back to Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
that's the hardest thing to do really all the time. I mean, that's, that's very hard to do, right? You've been wrong. It's hard to turn away from that. It's hard to make wise decisions. It's going to only be that much harder if, you've, if you're surrounded with people who are saying, go do it. What are you waiting on? Who will validate why you should retaliate. You need to surround yourself with people who are wise, who are cautious, who will say, that's not the best thing to do. God will avenge his own. You need to trust God here. Trust his way and walk in that path. And Jesus here gives us that example. Jesus tells Peter, put away your sword. He picks up the ear of Malchus and he puts it back on his head. Peter, if I wanted to stop this, I would stop this. I could call 72,000 angels in a second and this would be over. Peter, this is not to be stopped. This is the will of God. I will not avenge myself. I will let God do his work. His plan is ultimate. We must follow Jesus' example. And the third thing that tried to derail him was abandonment. And I looked back and I thought back through Scripture and I thought of, you know, those who were abandoned in Scriptures. And one of the ones that I think of is Joseph. And Joseph with his brothers who sold him into slavery. Does it get any more abandoning than that? I mean, you know, here you are, the brother, you're your father's favorite, and they're all jealous, and one day they just say, let's just, let's just get rid of him. And they weren't going to just walk away from him. They wanted to kill him. They wound up throwing him in a pit, and they're going to leave him there to die. Yeah. Going to make up a story to tell the dad, and then a band of Gypsies comes by and they pull him out of the pit and they say, we're going to at least profit from this. And they sell him and he winds up in Egypt. And he winds up second in command at all of Pharaoh and providentially winds up being in a very position to serve his brothers and his family down the road. Joseph was abandoned and he could have said, I will hold this against my brothers forever. There will come a day when I will get revenge. But instead, when his brothers come to see him, he says to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he trusted the will of God. Even though he didn't understand it at the time, he just pressed on. And it's a picture here of Jesus being betrayed, being abandoned, and being resolute in following the will of God. We also must press on toward that ourselves. I've thought about this in the context of Christianity today in the local church, and I can't help but to think about 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. 1 John 2, 19. Well, let me back up to 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And here is a good principle for us as we gather together as the church. And this is one reason why we continue to gather together. We don't just meet weekly or twice a week or three times a week or whatever the case may be. We don't just do that to check a box. We don't just do that for us all to sit in our chairs and to individually look toward God. We don't just sit there 
to individually bring glory to his name, we come together so that we might together be the body of Christ. So that we might together continue and to spur one another on toward the will of God. There will be those that will come out, come, you know, come into the church. And you've experienced this in your lifetime. There will be those that will come in and they will not stay. There will be those that start well. This is the parable of the soils. The gospel, the word of God is sown and it falls on shallow ground. And suddenly it just springs up quickly. And it just seems that, man, God has got a hold of that person and doing a great work in their life. But all of a sudden it doesn't last long because as they get out into the pressures of the world, they, they're scorched. And the gospel just dries up because it has no root. There will be those who will come in among us but will not stay. They will leave and they will not leave just to go to another fellowship, but they will leave and they will walk away from the church. They will walk away from Christianity. And what they're proving is that they were never of us. We've got to be ready for that. That We will be abandoned. You will be abandoned by some who are, who are close to you. And we must be ready for that, but we cannot let it deter us from pressing on toward the will of God. Let us also be resolute as we follow God, and then let us rid ourselves of these and all sins. This is the second part of the application. Let's be resolute, follow Jesus as our, as our example, but then also as we see these sins creeping up on us, as we are tempted to these sins, betrayal, hot tempers, wanting vengeance, abandonment, Let's get rid of them. I mean, that sounds so easy, and that sounds as if that, that um, God has no part in our sanctification. And that's not what I'm saying. God is at work in us, but we're also commanded to work out our salvation. And part of that working out our salvation is to ask God, God, help me to recognize these things in my life, and God, help me to be repulsed by them so that I can confess those to you and by your strength turn away from those and go resolutely toward following you. Tullian Chavijan, who is Billy Graham's grandson, who is the pastor now of, um, is it Coral Ridge? Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in, in Florida. It's where D. James Kennedy was for all those years. Uh, Tullian Chavijan um, made a statement one time. I think I've got it fairly accurate. Because Jesus succeeded, I am free to fail. Because Jesus succeeded, I am free to fail. And that's true. It's true that because Jesus did not let betrayal and hot temper and abandonment keep him from succeeding and going to the cross, then there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves more acceptable to God. We are accepted in his success. That's true. But I would caution that this does not mean that we are free to be lazy. We're free to fail. We're no, we know we're going to fail. The Christian life is a series of falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. But we are not free to be lazy. Some want to sit back and say, you know what? Hey, I pray to prayer. I go to church. I put some money in the offering plate. I'm good to go. And it's just not so. It's just not true. We must renounce the sin of betrayal. 
sin of self-confidence, the sin of abandonment, and any other sin that God makes us aware of as soon as possible. Mark Dever, uh, who is pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., made this statement. He says, sin doesn't tell you the truth. Sin doesn't help you to see the truth. It appears as your friend and then betrays you with a kiss. We may not have a Judas that is so blatant and has a name. But we all have sin. And sin makes wonderful promises to us. Sin promises pleasure and contentment. Sin promises things that it never will deliver on. It will betray us in the end. And I pray that we would take the example of Jesus and that we would pray and seek after the same kind of submission to the will of the Father that Jesus accomplished and that he modeled for us. Let's be resolute in going after the will of God and let's rid ourselves of these and every sin as quickly as possible. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done. God, we thank you for your example. Lord, your example in so many ways, but God, the one that we've looked at today is your coming out of the agony in the garden, praying that desperate prayer, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will, coming to a place where it was enough, it was settled, and you were resolute. And God, today we've seen you so committed to your plan that Jesus was not distracted in the least amid all sorts of attack, yet he went to the cross anyway. He went through with the arrest. He went through with the mock trial. He went through with the beating and the mocking and the scourging, the being spit upon, punched, hair pulled, out of, his beard pulled out of his face, nails driven through his hands and his feet, his spear shoved through his side. We've seen Jesus, you go to even the point saying, it is is finished. Jesus, we've seen you go into the grave. You have gone to the grave for what you have preached. You have lived your talk. Jesus, we know that there's only one you. We can't, we can't be you. And God, we thank you tonight that by your grace, we don't have to. Because what you endured... Jesus, you didn't deserve. And Jesus, what we have received, we don't deserve. We should be trading places. But Jesus, you came and took our place and took our punishment and went through all kinds of adversity for us. Jesus, I pray for those who are hearing the sound of my voice tonight, God, that you would make us resolute as we also say, whatever comes my way, I will not be distracted from the will of the Father. Jesus, help us to see sin in our lives. Help us to recognize it. Help us to be disgusted by it. Help us to confess it and to turn from it as quickly as possible. For your glory. For your glory, so that others might see your good work in us 
and glorify our Heavenly Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great night.